Bhavana. So, so nowadays and for for a very long time in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, there have been lamas who give pointing out instructions, explanations on nature of mind. Nature of mind, big topic, very important topic. But of course the term nature of mind can refer to multiple dimensions of mind. It's not just one thing. So I'd like to spend a, give a little brief introduction there, kind of like the sharp blade, sharp blade, uh, a precise distinctions, because in fact they're very important, uh, especially in Dzogchen, Dujum Lingba, Padmasambhava make this emphatically clear, that if you conflate multiple dimensions of consciousness, you're really lost. You're really lost. There's no path. If you mix them up, if you literally confuse them. So this is to deconfuse, to defuse. Confusion. Nature of mind. Nature of mind. Let's go from the coarse to subtle. And all of this is very experiential. Okay? So if we go from coarse to subtle, right now we already have minds. So that's easy. Got that? And what is it about our minds that enables them to be minds? I mean, the minds do many things, but they don't do everything all all at once. Uh, And so what is the common denominator of mind when you're sleeping, when you're dreaming, when you're waking, when you're deeply immersed in a conceptual mind, when you maybe slip into a non-conceptual state of consciousness? And the common denominator is consciousness, or shepa in Tibetan, jnana in Sanskrit. And as mentioned before, now repeatedly and with quite some detail, the defining characteristic of consciousness, which is the, the very nucleus of the mind, that which enables mind to be a mind, rather than a mere facsimile, which is what we have brilliantly in computer programs, very type of robot programs and so forth. Those are brilliant facsimiles of mental activity. But they're like a painting versus the, the referent of the painting. Okay? They're flat. They have no three-dimensionality, they have no subjectivity. So the defining characteristics on this course level, this immediate level that we can identify today, some of you have already identified, is consciousness. You can identify the nature of consciousness, nature of mind on this level is, on this immediately accessible level, is luminous and cognizant, or clear and cognizant. And again, an extremely brief reminder, when you look right into it, if you wish to identify it, you'll see that it is immaterial, it has no material attributes, it cannot be measured materially or physically. So clear in that sense, clear or luminous in the sense of that it is that consciousness which manifests all mode of appearances, all mode, and whoever you are. Of course, consciousness is, is not confined to human beings, but it is common to all sentient beings, all arhats, all buddhas. And so it is luminous and it is cognizant, and we know what that means. Right? So that was an introduction to the nature of mind. Okay? And when you identify the reference of these terms, clarity, hyphen, luminosity, and cognizance, when you see that, and you see that these facets, these attributes, these qualities of consciousness are present when you're thinking, when you're thinking about something, right? When you infer something, they're there, right? When you're very angry, your mind is completely convoluted in some mental affliction, they're there. When the mind is neutral, you're just taking a sip of water. No attachment, no craving, just drinking water. That was the experience of desiring the water, drinking the water, saturated by luminosity and cognizance. And then, of course, the whole spectrum of virtuous states of mind. From simply giving a flower, because I'm enjoying doing it, 
Lim, here's your flower for today. <laughs> no hard feelings, right? So that was enjoyable. That was a little tiny virtue. A tiny virtue, but that was nice. You know, no, no harm. And so, but from a little thing like that, giving a flower to the virtues of the omniscient mind, of a Buddha mind, they're all pervaded by. Okay, that's, that's a big common denominator. Buddhas, arhats, bodhisattvas, um, we, hell beings, people who are extremely malevolent, and so forth and so on. So there's that level. We can identify it now. And that's a really big step in the right direction. If you'd like to understand the nature of mind, understand the reference of the terms luminosity and cognizance. Good. You've now been introduced to nature of mind. Right? And bear in mind that in Tibetan it's selching rikpa. Rikpa is cognizance. Rikpa is awareness. So have you identified rikpa? When you've identified, when you've, when you've seen the reference of the term cognizance, I look over in Anna's direction. I recognize Anna. We've known each other for years. It's not just an appearance coming. But, oh yeah, that's Anna. That's Anna. I, I recognize her. Okay. That cognizance. The appearance, yeah, she looks like a lot of other women. She's dark hair, medium height. Yeah, you know, a lot like that. Very similar. But no one's like that. No, no, that's Anna. That's not anybody else. I know Anna. I've known her for years. So that cognizance. When I recognize the cognizance in my recognition of Anna, Am I realizing Rikpa? Well, yeah, that's Rikpa. That is cognizance. Have I realized primordial consciousness? Well, we'll put that on hold for a moment. But have I realized Rikpa? Yeah, that's exactly the term. That is Rikpa, right? But now we have the Lekmorn Vajra, by way of Dujum Lingba, saying when you've settled the mind in its natural state, you're resting in the substrate consciousness, Although other people call it highfalutin things, you know, grandiose things, I, Padmasambhava, say, you have come to the essential nature of the mind. Essential nature. Well, you know exactly what that is. This is the substrate consciousness. When you experience it fully, luminously, lucidly, by way of shamatha, it is blissful, luminous, luminous, and blockage. (laughs) Or a suspension of of conceptuality. It's wonderful how intuition just came right to the right answer. Um, it is that. But it's more than that. And that is when we, you know, we don't just have to take the sound bites. We can look into the background. And here's a crucial element. When you're resting in the substrate consciousness, there, you're resting in a flow of knowing. You've not spaced out. It's not a trance. It is, it's luminous. And it's knowing. It's, there's no question about that. Otherwise, it's just torpor. Just, you know, like that. So, but it's a non-conceptual knowing. That's why it says non-conceptual, right? So it's knowing, but it's a non-conceptual knowing. So that's not like our knowing of our ordinary minds. You know, when I get angry, I'm working on a mathematics problem, or what have you. That's a knowing, but it's embedded in conceptuality. Okay, fine, I call that the coarse mind. But now we flip to subtle mind. Subtle mind, okay? So it's knowing now on a subtler dimension, a more primal level, and it's not conceptual, but it is ascertaining, it is discerning, it is imbued with, ready to kick into gear with, the five jhana factors, right? single-pointed, able to engage, engage in course investigation, subtle analysis, imbued with a sense of well-being and imbued with a sense of joy or bliss. They're all right there, right? But now here's one more final point. Here's the pointing out instructions, Okay. The pointing out instructions for the essential nature of the mind, the stem mind, the stem consciousness, deeper level, 
that's not so obvious on the surface. And that is, and this is right from the Vajra Essence, which is like my Bible, you know, my beloved Bible, the Vajra Essence. And that is, while the substrate consciousness illuminates appearances and knows appearances, it does not enter into appearances. Okay. In other words, it's free of cognitive fusion. Not on all levels, but by and large. Just like it's not absolutely non-conceptual. Remember that? It's non-conceptual, but not absolutely non-conceptual. And why? Because on a very subtle conceptual mode, you can still be preferring and clinging to the qualities of bliss, luminosity, and non-conceptuality. And that is a subtle form of conceptualization and a subtle form of mental affliction. Very subtle, but there it is. Uh, And so... The substrate consciousness, but it doesn't... And, and on that level, are you entering into the preference for the luminosity, bliss, and non-concept, non-concept? Yeah, you are. There's a, this is really subtle, you know. But yeah, you are. But for everything else, for all the other stuff that is appearing, memories of past lives, or maybe you're using that mind to investigate the nature of phenomena and so forth, it does not enter into, it does not cognitively fuse with the coarser level, all that bandwidth of appearances, sensory, and so forth, when you come out. So that's pointing out instructions for the substrate consciousness. Now, of course, the most important pointing out instructions are giving instructions on shamatha so you can follow them and hitch a ride on your mind, take your mind onto the path, hop into that car, and take it all the way to the destination, achieve shamatha, and then you'll see, ah, this is what he was pointing you. Okay, and as with like directions, how do you get from here to Rome? Well, you learn the directions, and then you set out on the road until you get to Rome and say, ah, they were good directions. Okay. So those are the real pointing out instructions for Rome. Not just showing a whole bunch of photos, but telling how to get there, right? Actually, more, it's, it's interesting. It'll give you inspiring to see some photos. Well, that's a place worth, worth going. What, what, what history there, what magnificent architecture, and so forth and so on. Good, it inspires, makes you want to visit Rome. But what you really need is directions on how to get there. Right? So similar. So those are pointing out instructions. But now, to make that practical right now, especially in these practices, these shamatha practices, the settling the mind is natural state, the awareness of awareness, especially the awareness of awareness, which is so direct, we're seeking to emulate, to approximate, in the very first session, our closest approximation of viewing awareness from the perspective of substrate consciousness. From the very first session of settling the mind into natural state, we're doing our very best to approximate viewing the activities, the movements, the appearances, the uh, thoughts and images arising in the space of the mind from the perspective of substrate consciousness, illuminating, knowing them, but not getting caught up in them. Without distraction, without grasping, without the grasping, without the identification with, without the cognitive fusion with. So, when you've understood the instructions well, unless they settling the mind in its natural state, what's the quality of awareness? There it is, that unflickering candle flame. What's the nature of that awareness? And can you simultaneously rest in that stillness while observing the movements of the mind without cognitively fusing with them? That's pointing out instructions. That's pointing out instructions to the essential nature of the mind at a deeper level. Pointing out instructions. Nature of mind, nature of, now we have two. And those are really quite different. They're not the same. 
Because simply the luminosity, cognizance, that pervades everything. Cognitive fusion, hatred, bigotry, bliss, compassion, everything is everywhere. This one, oh, this is subtler. This is subtle. This is primal. This is the ground of your samsara, right? And then we have the pointing out instructions. Oh, and, and by the way, is that rikma? Of course, it's awareness. Of course it's awareness. It's subtle awareness. It's substrate consciousness. And then we have the pointing out instructions, pointing out the view, introducing the Dzogchen view in the Dzogchen context, introducing the Dzogchen view, introducing pointing out Rigpa, as in, of course, pointing out primordial consciousness, Dharmakaya, Buddha nature, Sugatagarbha, pristine awareness, pointing that out, the ground pristine awareness, pointing that out. Okay. Well, then they're pointing out instructions for that. And in the Dzogchen tradition, with which I'm most familiar, the, um, the, of course, there are different ways of doing so, there's no question. Some of them nonverbal, some of them purely symbolic. Uh, so there are many ways. But the classic way is giving teachings that clearly, that the words themselves are like a knife drawing sharp distinction between what's the difference between, for example, mind and dharmakaya. What's the difference between substrate consciousness and rikpa, pristine awareness? You get it conceptually, right? You get it conceptually. And now from my own fuzzy understanding, you hear the, you hear the or conditioned consciousness, vichnana, conditioned consciousness and primordial consciousness. There's a big one. Padmasambhava is absolutely brilliant on this point, in, Vajra, in the Vajra essence. And you listen to the account, the explanation of conditioned consciousness, vijnana, the sixth mode of consciousness, right? Mental consciousness. You listen to account, you listen to the words, and then you take them, they are the finger pointed to the moon, and you take them to see if you can find the referent in your own experience. Can you identify what has just been explained to you within a paragraph or two, what is the nature of conditioned consciousness within the five skandhas, the sixth mode of consciousness? What is the nature of that? And, just, and I'm not describing it now, I'm just saying it can be done very briefly. And then you look in and say, got it. Yeah, I know exactly what you're referring to. I know the taste of lemonade. You know, I, Yes, I know exactly what you're referring to. Got it. And then, okay, so far so good. Then, then says, now in contrast to that, Here's where the sharp knife comes in. Here's the nature of primordial consciousness. Right. I'm not going to give that right now. But it gives that pointing out instruction. So you've already identified one, and then you set that aside, because we're not going to be... The next part is not that. right? Primordial consciousness is not conditioned consciousness. They're not the same. So you set that aside, and then you get the pointing out instructions for Rigpa, or primordial consciousness, and the words come in, the finger is pointing to the moon, and then you look right there. And if the pointing out instructions are effective, you see what's left. Once you've bracketed conditioned consciousness, bracketed mind, bracketed substrate consciousness, got it, got it, got it. Having set that aside, is there anything else that corresponds to this pointing out instruction? 
There was the finger. Is, can you find the moon? And then if you identify that, then you really recognize Rikma. So all of that, those three, each one different, it's really, really important. One can add a fourth, and that is, and this is where the jungne dosum, where the, the vipassana practice of investigating, optimally, really optimally, this is how it should be done, after you've already achieved shamatha by way of settling the mind in its natural state or awareness of awareness. This is bona fide, authentic, five-star Mahamudra Dzogchen approach. You've done it. You've finished the job. What needed to be done, you've done it. And now you get pointing out instructions to the emptiness of inherent nature of the mind, the ultimate reality of the mind, which is referring to its shunya nature, which is taught in the Prajapanamita, the Madhyamaka, and so forth. And on that platform of having identified the essential nature of your mind, so it's right there in the palm of your hand, the substrate consciousness, you just, you just know it. You know, you know it, you know it perfectly. Um, you just got it, totally got it. Okay, now that you've got it, now how does it exist? It does exist. We're not going to refute that. We're not going to back off from that. Yes, you found the essential nature of the mind, but how is it? It's neluk. What is it? Motive existence. What's the nature of existence? How is it present? Does it exist by its own inherent nature? Is it really there independently by its own inherent nature? independent of any conceptual designation, or not. And you investigate. How does it arise? How is it present? How does it disappear? Right. And if you've achieved shamat and you're resting in that, and you take out this nice, clean specimen, you know, like a chemistry lab, you get, this is pure zinc, or this is just this virus and nothing else, just the pure specimen uncluttered, unadorned, unmixed up with anything else like ethnicity and gender and culture and blah, 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 blah. You know, yeah, yeah, never mind that. But let's, I, what, I want, what I want to find out is not whether Alan Wallace's mind inherently existent. It's kind of like, who really cares? There won't even be such a thing as Alan Wallace's mind in a short time. So for something that transient, it's important. But how important? And how important is it to you? Alan Wallace's mind is inherently existent or not. I mean, really, what's the big deal, right? It's a short story. It wasn't here 70 years ago. It won't be here for 70 years from now, in all likelihood. But when we take off the clothing, the configuration of this person, this personal history, the species specificity, and so forth, take off that clothing, throw, just throw that out and put, 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 it in the, put it in the cupboard. That's not really important here. What's really important is we, when we strip down to its nucleus, what does continue from lifetime to lifetime, what does continue and defines me as a sentient being, right? Not this body. I could have a much better body. I could be born as a David, much, much nicer. You know, the bodies come and go. Speech comes and go. Minds come and go. Good mind, bad mind, and so forth and so on. But here's the keeper. And this is what Sen Chen at root, I'm a mind-haver. That's sentient being. I'm a mind-haver. What kind of a mind do I have? Eh, sentient being's mind. Mind prone to klesha and karma. That defines me as a sentient being. There's the real question. If you're interested in Vajrayana, interested in Mahamudra Dzogchen, you've got to know. On that level, when you're stripped down to your... your you're down to the buff. You're naked. Mentally, you're naked. 
This is the keeper. This is what carries on. And this from every lifetime to lifetime always defines you again and again as a sentient being. This is the key point. Is that dimension of consciousness inherently existent or not? If it is, you'll always be a sentient being. And that's just to make the best of it. If it's not, oh, that changes everything. Just like this is enormous. If there's no substrate consciousness, if consciousness really is simply emerging from complex neuronal activity, okay, okay, that's what a lot of people think. In which case, let's, let's just recalibrate everything here. Let's adjust our worldview, our values, way of life, in the sense that everything that matters to me, personally, is going to be terminated at any time. Steve Jobs made, I saw in an interview with Steve Jobs, he said there was a point at which he really got mortality. And from that point on, his own mortality, and that he died at any time. He, he discovered this, it was an interview in 1995. He was only 40 years old. Yeah, 40 years old. And it was before then that he said, I really got it, the issue of mortality. And so in light of that, that I could die, and of course he did die relatively young, 2011. Uh, in light of mortality, what now is worthwhile? And he's, I'm diverging, but I found this so interesting. When he was 23, he was worth a million dollars, as they like to say. That is, his net worth financially is a million. This was when Apple just started off. When he was 24, he's worth 10 million. When he's 25, he's worth 100 million. And he said it has no, almost no impact on him. He didn't care. He says, it's nice to have enough money. It's nice to have money. You can invest it. You can do cool things with it. But he said, I just didn't care. For me, all that really mattered was the product. That's what really mattered. And in his view, because he didn't, I don't believe he had any notion of continuity of consciousness from life after life, it wasn't the money, it wasn't the prestige, it wasn't the power. It was he had a passion to creating good, good, good products. That's all that really mattered. Everything was for that. And there was a notion of service. That let's bring something good to humanity that has taste and style. And he did. And... Yes, I am a Mac addict. <laughs> I like the products. I don't take refuge in them, but you know, there we are. So I diverged a little bit. But as this issue, so he, within a secular kind of materialistic context, found something that was meaningful to him within the framework of this life. Produce good products. Well, he certainly did. He was amazing in that regard, right? Pretty good job. For a materialist, pretty good job. Yeah, produce a lot of good products, help many, many people. Tens of millions, right? But if there's continuity from lifetime to lifetime, you know, reboot, you just upgraded to new, new operating system. You know, really, everything changes. If it's true, everything changes. Your worldview changes. Your view of the, of the entire universe changes. If this is true for every sentient being, your values have to change. Otherwise, you're just really stupid. You, know, you must. And with your worldview and your values changing, you've got to change your way of life. That's just common sense, right? So that's enormous. That's why I think it's so enormously important to get clarity, to gain understanding, insight, and know what is true, not as a Buddhist truth or a Hindu truth, just what is true, true, right? And I think now with this coming together of scientific and contemplative modes of inquiry, we can not only, I think there's a potential within my lifetime if I don't die soon, 
But there's not only to be ascertained, which has been ascertained thousands of times, Hindus, Buddhists, Taoists, Christians, and so forth. It's old news, but it's not public. By the non-religious people, it's considered to be religious beliefs, which means throw it in the trash bin. Right? Where scientific truths are not considered to be truths just for scientists. I mean, you have to be really quite ignorant to think that. No, happily, this monumental successes of science, scientific truths are in the public domain, and if you're well-informed, you know, well, this is consensually true. There's a lot of truth here. And you can be pro-science, anti-science, but if you do investigate the methods inquiry and the peer review and all of that, you know, boy, if you ignore this, you really are quite ignorant, right? So there's one of them. It changes everything if there's continuity of consciousness. And that's why I found it so inspiring, this, this interview with Donald Hoffman. He didn't go into reincarnation, anything like that. But just that as a very well-informed, astute, mainstream neuroscientist, that he was just discarding, like old, dirty clothes, the reductionistic, materialistic reduction of mind to brain, and brought in this breathtaking view, informed by cutting-edge physics, which almost all of neuroscience isn't. It's informed by 19th century physics. You know, I found that enormously encouraging. But similarly, here's another game-changer, and that is, if it's true, that this subtle continuum of consciousness, the one that's a keeper that you can't get rid of, if that is not inherently existent, if you're not inherently a sentient being, which does imply a certain degree of immutability, no upward mobility, you know, if it's really true, if it turns out that that is just empty of inherent nature, is true, I'm a sentient being only relative to a conceptual framework, that just changes everything. That means my world, and not only I, but of course everybody else, and everything, the entire universe. Oh, that makes the earlier revolution look like peanuts. Now everything's different. The entire universe does not exist of these separate independent units. This participatory universe, everything changes. Worldview, values, way of life, everything changes. Right? That's a game changer. You've just upped your operating system to a very higher level. So that's nature of mind. So we have the conventional, luminous and cognizant. We have the substrate consciousness. Talked about that. We have the empty nature of mind that is not inherently existent. That's a game changer. That's, that's nature of mind. That's not the same as either of the first two. Right? Different. And then we have Rikpa. That's not the same as emptiness of mind. Emptiness of mind is just empty of inherent nature. Rikpa is Dharmakaya, for heaven's sake. Right? And if this is who you really are, Gautamacha said, the difference between sentient beings and Buddhas are, the difference is, Buddhas know who they are, and sentient beings don't. If that's the case, oh boy, that's another game changer. It's enormous. Now Dzogchen just makes total sense. It's kind of like nothing else makes sense. I mean, nothing else faces that reality fully as Dzogchen and Mahmudra. So that's nature of mind. All clear? Yeah? So just the luminous and cognizance, the substrate consciousness, emptiness of inherent nature of mind, and Rikpa.
all under the umbrella of nature of mind. Right? So, from day one, when you receive some pointing out instructions, maybe what you get from that is you really do get a taste of the luminosity of your own awareness, the clear light, luminous, luminous nature of your own awareness. And you do get an immediate taste of just that sheer raw cognizance, rikpa, awareness, knowing, and you get it. Okay? In other words, you've just identified, you've had pointed out to you, and you have identified the most superficial level. But that doesn't mean meaningless. That doesn't mean trivial. It just means that which is most easily accessible, right? At that time, can you say, have you realized Rigpa? You know, like if, if the teacher was a Dzogchen teacher, a Dzogchen Lama. Have you realized Rigpa? And Soknirimache, this is a nice term I haven't used before. I don't think it's in the classic text, but then we don't need to confine ourselves to classic text. He said, you've realized baby Rigpa. <laughs> baby Rigpa. Rigpa in diapers. I like that. Right? I think it's cool. There's no suggestion there that you become a Vijadada. You know, oh, you've just had a weekend pointing out instruction with Sokinamuchi. Does he or anybody else think, oh, good, weekend I become a Vijadada? Maybe somebody thinks that, and maybe somebody for somebody it's true. Who is it for me to say? But that's not what he says, and generally, of course, that's not true. But does that mean this was misleading? That, oh, if you think you realize Rikpa, who was that was misleading then? How on earth could you go to a weekend retreat with no Dharma background, get pointing out instructions, and realize Rikpa? But what if you have realized the luminous and cognizant nature of your own awareness, and aware that cognizant is Rikpa, it's called Rikpa? Baby Rikpa, why not? I know, I'm, I'm not going to debate that. Or the way I just put it, which is just tomatoes and tomatoes, different way of saying the same thing. Realize the most superficial level. Have you realized Rikpa? Yeah, it's called, called cognizance. Yes, I have. Right? Is that Rikpa? Ri- is that Rikpa? <laughs> yeah, Rikpa. Vidyatar is all speaking in a very low voice. Is that Rikpa? <laughs> is it identical? No, it's not identical. Of course not. Of course not. Is it something else? Is it looking at a flagpole instead of a donut? It's entirely different, right? No, it's not like that. You're looking right at it. When you look right at the cognizance of your own awareness, you're looking right at Rikpa. You're looking right at Dharmakaya. Are you seeing it without mediation? Probably not, unless you're an incredible prodigy. But are you looking right at it? Yes. It's the same word for a reason. Tibetans could have made up other words. They were not you know, shy about that. But they use the same word for the most superficial level as the deepest level. There has to be a reason for that. Likewise, consciousness, jnana in Sanskrit, consciousness, just mean consciousness, is identical to rikpa. Oh, Tibetans translate that also as, they translate it to shepa, which is consciousness, they also translate jnana as ishe, which is primordial consciousness. One word gets two totally different meanings. But they're not absolutely separate. Right? So when you realize the Rikpa on the superficial level, you realize Rikpa in substrate consciousness, you realize the emptiness of your own mind, the, na- the empty nature of consciousness, and you are aware of that, you realize Rikpa. Because that with which you're realizing the empty nature of your own mind is Rikpa. And when you have, when Rikpa identifies itself, 
primordial consciousness, Buddha nature, identifies itself, that is Rigpa. So this most superficial one, the initial, initial one, is like looking at the moon through three layers of clouds. But you have looked through the ornamentation of the human mind, male, female, ethnicity, and all that. You've looked through that, you've seen something more fundamental. That I'm not a man all the way through. Right? I'm not an American down to my ground. I'm not 66 year old old, my ground. That's all secondary, that's fluff, right? Here's what I am. Okay, this is more my nucleus, right? This is what keeps luminous and cognizant. And then that particular mode of it, what's it feel like? What's it it feel like? Well, the substrate consciousness, that's deeper. You have to actually get there to realize the substrate consciousness. So you've peeled away one level. And then we have reification, reification grasping onto the true existence. That's not challenged when you're resting in substrate consciousness. That's also a veil. Peel that away, another layer of clouds vanishes, and you've ascertained the empty nature of your own consciousness. But you still have a sense of being a conventional, a conditioned consciousness. Peel that away, release the grasping identification with the cognitive fusion with conditioned consciousness, which is empty of inherent nature, but still conditioned consciousness. Release the identification with that, Rikpa. You realize Rikpa from the beginning through three layers of clouds. Substrate consciousness through two layers of clouds. Realize emptiness of your mind through one layer of cloud. Cut through even the relative nature of your own empty mind to put in nature. There's the cloud. There's the, there's the moon with no clouds. Totally clear? Okay, good. One session, you figure it out. (laughs) So throughout the course of the day, as much as you can, sustain an, an ongoing flow of awareness of the sheer luminosity and cognizance of your own awareness. That'll be a fast track to Dzogchen. Okay, keep it simple. See you later.